Testament reading can be found on page 1890 of the Church Bibles. And we're reading from 1 Peter, chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Actually, it's 1891, sorry. Therefore, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes? Yes. I were few, I thought, when I read that passage. We've uh, been going through 1 Peter uh, in the last eight weeks, and we've had some pretty interesting passages. And uh, we've, we've managed to farm off some of those difficult ones to our visiting preachers. And I feel mightily relieved that we've got something a bit more cosy today. Or is it? <laughs> So we've got quite a lot in, in such a few short verses. Um, a few, three weeks ago, Graham gave us a list of five things, harmony, sympathy, brotherly love, compassion, and humility. And these were all qualities, all characteristics that we needed as to, to, to live our lives as servants to, to either to slave masters or to authorities. Now, in this passage, we've got five things uh, in a list as well. But these are a lot more practical, so we can get our teeth into them. Um, so, first of all, let's start with a prayer. Dear Lord, help us to hear your voice and not Martin's. Open our hearts that we might love one another deeply and develop a strong relationship with you and be faithful stewards of your grace. Amen. Well, verse uh, 7 starts with, uh, the end is nigh. And uh, you're often uh, probably subject to a lot of criticism when you start talking about the end is nigh. And uh, we've been thinking about this uh, recently with our evening series on Revelation. But uh, are you really ready for the, a new heaven and earth? Uh, but I not necessarily think that this passage is about this. So I don't want people going away and saying, St. John's is telling everyone the world's about to end. Because the passage could be equally translated as, uh, the conclusion is getting closer. And after 2,000 years, I think you can't deny it's closer than it was when Peter wrote this letter. 
interesting that uh, Peter signed this letter um, at the start. Don't know whether you got that joke. <laughs> so uh, we want to be conscious of the end is nigh, but having alert and sober minds. Now, I think one way of looking at this is I think that all of history can be divided into three periods of salvation, and so which were marked by covenants. So first of all, we had the covenant of the patriarchs. So we had people like Noah and Abraham. And they established their righteousness by their faith. So you could say that that was a accredited salvation. And I wouldn't be uh, advocating that you go down that route because it's, it's one that God dispenses and is not anything that you can do yourself. And then following that, there was the covenant of Sinai, which was the law and all the, the necessary sacrifices to bring people back to God. And I would say that that was merited salvation. And again, again I wouldn't advocate that as a way ahead because no one managed to keep the law perfectly apart from Jesus. So what about the new covenant? The new covenant is all about Jesus and what he did for us. And by belief in his name, we've got the right to be children and heirs of God. So that, I would say, is inherited salvation. And Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 says that that covenant is by far the best covenant. So when last week uh, Brian was talking about the, the, the passage that ended about preaching to the dead, I was thinking that maybe one of the reasons that Peter had written this letter is people were saying, well, well what about all those people that have just died and, and haven't heard? Because it was a new church that was, Peter was writing the letter to. And he's saying that don't worry about them, that God is, is a just God and will deal with everybody in a righteous way. So the one thing... The take-home message of this is that, that I believe that there's no other period of salvation. So, therefore, we need to uh, decide that our, how to work out our salvation, which I recommend is through that inherited salvation. So let's start on verse 7 then. <laughs> so, first of all, it's, it says that uh, what I like about this and what makes it even easier is that when you get passages that have got words like therefore and because and so that, it's got its own explanation provided, so it makes it a lot easier to prepare a sermon. So first of all, he said, be, be clear-minded. Or sometimes it's uh, uh, interpreted as being sober. Um, what it means is don't follow crazy schemes like end-time prophecies that we've just talked about. And don't even follow this sermon if it's not scriptural or, or doesn't ring true of what your tr the truth about God is. The second in the list is self-control. And that means about how to abstain. And, and sometimes uh, we, we need to be careful about that. But it's interesting that he brings these two together, clear-mindedness and self-control. And I think of that as being like your body, and your mind. And he said that this is so, why, why do we do it? It's 
so we can pray. And I think it's uh, incredible. I don't know about you, but do you ever find that tiredness and uh, uh, a wandering mind hinders your prayer life? And he's saying that be clear-minded and self-control. Now, I find that particularly poignant for Peter because if you think back to the time in Gethsemane when Jesus had his most ultimate prayer, that painful prayer that he had about what was coming next and what he needed to do, and his disciples all fell asleep. And now Peter is writing a letter to encourage us to have self-control and clear-mindedness in our prayer life. And Jesus uh, said in in chapter 22, verse 34, he, he said to Peter, when you come back to me, help the others. And I think him writing this is an encouragement for all of us. So we managed to cover one verse. Let's move on to verse eight. And here, buried in amongst this list of five, is the, is the crux of this passage. It says, above all, above all, everything else, love. Now, we've mentioned the word love a number of times through 1 Peter. And uh, I think somebody once said how inadequate the English language was that the word love only rhymes with turtle, dove, and glove. But in Greek, there are four words for love, and we talked about one of them a few weeks ago. But this word for love is the ultimate one. Uh, See if you can spot which word for love is in this letter. It says, Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking off our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever. Marry. P.S. And congratulations on winning the lottery. (laughs) So the, the love that we're talking about here, though, is the highest form of love. It's the love that God has for men and women and the the same love that we should have for God. So, it's the sort of love that helps us endure endure being sinned against. Uh, In chapter 3, as as I mentioned, we talked about brotherly love, which is a a love between people, uh, like a, a friendly sort of love. But in here, we've got a striving love that takes effort and practice to perfect. And the curious thing about this passage is says that it covers a multitude of sins. Now, it doesn't say that it cancels sin, or it ignores sin, or even condones sin. In in Matthew's Gospel, it it says that, uh, how many times do I need to forgive someone? Seven times? No, Jesus said 70 times 7. It's interesting to know who was the disciple that asked that question. It was Peter. So I think we have to be careful about how we love one another. 
how we treat each one another. And like Mike was saying earlier, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we must recognize that in one another and try and support one another. Um, when I first started, when I first became a Christian, and I started avidly reading the, the Good News Bible, there was one picture in it that I really enjoyed to see. And it was the way we can support one another in our burdens. So we don't need to look down on people when we see sin in people because maybe we've conquered that particular sin, but we will have one of our own. So we need to encourage one another. I think uh, when it says love covers sin, I thought about a fire blanket covering a fire. And uh, J. John said, uh, Jesus came to rub it out, not rub it in. It says uh, in, uh, in Galatians 6, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I like one of the definitions in, uh, that Paul gave to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 which says love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, I think uh, one way of trying to foster this sort of love is to look at the life of Jesus, and I'll come back to that at the very end. So let's go on to number four, hospitality. Now, at the time of this letter, hospitality was all about where there was, uh, the gospel was being spread all over the, the world and people, these missionaries, needed a place to stay, a place to, to form a base. And hospitality was, was bringing in people into their homes. So what does it look like in our day and age? Well, I'm glad to say that we do things like breakfasts and Coffee Connect and uh, seniors' meals. And I think that's an excellent way of doing prop. Uh, of doing hospitality. I think there's, there's a subtle difference between social entertaining and hospitality. And uh, I was, I really enjoyed uh, some notes in the Life Application Bible explain the difference. It says, entertaining focuses on the host. The home must be spotless. The food must be well prepared and abundant. The host must appear relaxed and good-natured. Hospitality, by contrast, focuses on the guest's needs, such as a place to stay, nourishing food, a listening ear, or just acceptance. Hospitality can happen in a messy home. It can happen around a dinner table where the main dish is canned soup. It can even happen while the host and the guests are doing chores together. Don't hesitate to offer hospitality just because you're too tired, too busy, or not wealthy enough to entertain. I found that particularly uh, a challenge. So maybe, uh, I know a few years ago, we used to host meals, and it was a great way of getting to know people, and maybe that's something we could reintroduce. So, uh, interestingly, that uh, apparently there is a, an, 
I don't know whether it's an urban myth, but there's uh, an Italian monastery that was uh, noted for hospitality, and they had four rules. First, if a stranger comes to this monastery, you will share with him what you have. Second, if he criticizes, listen. He may be sent by the Lord. Third, if he becomes obstreperous, he shall be cast out. Fourth, if he refuses to go, four strong monks shall explain to him the will of God. <laughs> now, the fifth in the list, oh, that was a monastery. <laughs> the fifth in the list talks of uh, gifts, uh, particularly speaking and service. And again, we're provided in verse 11 of a mind-blowing reason why we do that. That by serving people, that we, they see Jesus in us and praise God. So therefore, in our service, we can become signposts to God. And God provides his strength to do this service. Now, I don't know whether you're clear about what gifts that you might have, whether they're obvious to you and people around you, or whether they're ones that God has given you and perhaps you are not fully aware. But uh, maybe the thing to do is to pray with someone. And I'm sure the prayer ministry team would also be prepared to pray with, pray with you if you want to uh, look at your gifts. I think prayer is not just a safe safety net, but is also a springboard. So it's not a last resort. It might be some opening for, the, for your ministry. So we're stewards of these gifts. They're not meant to make us feel good other than, other than the joy that we get through service. And one of the reasons why we need to use these gifts is back in 1 Peter chapter 2, it talked about how we all form together the temple. And in Romans 12, Paul also had the same sort of theme by saying we were all part of one body. Now, I don't know why, but what came to mind when I was thinking about this was a story in 2 Kings chapter 7. And it's where there is a famine. The, the, the city was under siege. And there was a group of lepers that went out and said, it's not much point staying here and starving. We might as well go out. And if the army kills us, so what? But they didn't. They went out and found that the army had gone and fled and left everything. And they, they went around eating food, finding treasure, hiding it. And they suddenly came to the thought, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. And I wondered whether or not, if God's given us any treasures, whether we should really keep them to ourselves. So overall, we've got this list of five things, and I just wondered what we might ponder on in the week ahead. I mean, how might God be calling us to practice hospitality? Do we recognize our gifts, or even the gifts in others, and can we encourage them in a way that uh, we can use those in the way that God intended as one body? Can we be clear-minded in our prayer life? 
And above all, are we prepared to develop the God-like love for one another? So as I said earlier, that it might be helpful to think about Jesus when we consider how we might love one another. So the way he loved was a love that healed the sick. A love which took time to train his disciples despite their many failings and false starts. A love which time, took time to comfort those in grief and then demonstrated resurrection. A love which gave time to stop on the way of a healing to turn to a woman in embarrassing need. A love which longed to have supper with his disciples, such hospitality. A love which wash, washed his disciples' feet. A love which touched the untouchable. A love which confronted hypocrisy and injustice. A love which fed those in need of food, both physically and spiritually. A love which went to the cross for you and me. What a saviour and example we have. The end is nigh. You invest your time wisely. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.